Thank you, Phil. It's great to be here this morning. I was traveling yesterday and day before yesterday, left Bogota, Colombia, and then went and spoke in Atlanta in a Voice of the Martyrs conference, and then came here last night, and Phil picked me up in Detroit. So we've been getting some miles, and um, I'll be returning to Columbia in just a few days. But all over the world today, Christians are being persecuted. In fact, there are more dying for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ now, right now, in the year 2013, than at any other time in world history. The situation in countries like Pakistan, where they just moved in and murdered 1,200 people in a worship service. Egypt is going through a lot of turmoil and Christians taking the brunt of it. Syria, Iran, Iraq. And we could go on and on and tell you about places all over the world. But the country where I've been for a number of years, my parents were missionaries, I grew up in Colombia. This is our 50th year of family ministry in Colombia. And Colombia normally leads the list for the number of pastors that get murdered each year in the world. It's an extremely dangerous place for pastors. Just one of the communist guerrilla leaders is rumored to have ordered the murder of more than 400 pastors. That's just one terrorist that did that. And when I was beginning to speak for Voice of the Martyrs a few years ago, it seemed uh, horrible that we had two million displaced persons in Colombia as a result of the war. Well, now that number is up to almost six million displaced persons in Colombia, the highest in the world. And many of these people are evangelical Christians. And what happens is, is it's a three-way war. You have extreme left-wing Marxist guerrillas who are atheists and don't want to have anything to do with God, don't allow church meetings, don't allow church buildings, don't even allow home fellowship meetings in the areas that they strongly control. And then against them are right-wing paramilitary groups that are also outside the law and are also terrorists, and they're hard on Christians too. And then the government, which has strong Roman Catholic background, is trying to regain the territory that they've lost. And most of the rural areas of Colombia are not under Colombian government control. So the Christians get into trouble because they won't join sides in this war that is uh, underground, kind of, it's like a, a dirty war. If the conflict isn't so much uh, frontal, it's killing the friends of your enemies type of a war. So the paramilitary will go in and wipe out entire towns and villages just because they suspect that someone in that town or in that village is harboring guerrilla forces or sympathetic to them and vice versa. But as this has developed over the years, the amount of Christians that have been killed in Colombia have 
triggered something <coughs> on the international scene. And groups like Voice of the Martyrs that raise funds in 14 different countries, Open Doors, and others have targeted Colombia. They've targeted Colombia. Still not on? Is it on now? Well, maybe I should just. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so, as the persecution has unfolded in Colombia, groups like Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors, and others have targeted Colombia with a lot of resources. And for some reason, a lot of that has come into our hands. And so in the last 10 years, we've been given millions of books and over half a million Bibles and New Testaments. We've received resources to make a number of very powerful radio stations and we've been able to plant this effectively in areas that at the beginning looked like a spiritual black hole. If you can imagine places where hundreds of missionaries, thousands of pastors were working, and the monthly reports would go back to the mission offices that so many people came forward at the altar calls in a given month, so many decisions were made. So many people raised their hands and prayed the sinner's prayer when no one was looking, when everyone had their head bowed and their eyes closed. Well, guess what happens when the communist terrorists hit? They burned down all those church buildings. The missionaries that didn't flee were kidnapped, and many of them killed. The native pastors were killed by the hundreds. Just in eastern Columbia alone, where I grew up, we don't even have a record of how many Christians were killed. It was huge. Just church buildings that were destroyed was in the thousands. And 10 years ago, it was hard to find anyone that would stand up and say they were a Christian. Because if they would do that, their life would be immediately in danger. And so what it looked like a wonderful, successful, thriving missionary effort all of a sudden, there was nothing left. Absolutely nothing left. In 1983, I was one of the last missionaries left in eastern Columbia. And I kind of thought that maybe the Lord had something special for me, that I was going to get a special reward for the, from the Lord. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I was kidnapped, captured, took out and tied to a tree in a Columbian communist guerrilla camp for five months. And couldn't really understand why the Lord would have allowed that. But after about three days of being out there tied to this tree, the Lord reminded me of something. I was the one had, that had been praying that the gospel be sent to the communist guerrillas. And I'd been praying that very intently for over six months. And God answers prayer. And so it was like the Holy Spirit was witnessing to my heart and saying, you know, you're the one that was praying that the gospel be sent to the, to the communist guerrillas. Now, how come you're so bent out of shape? Here you are in the middle of a guerrilla camp. 
and you've got a wonderful opportunity. So when I began to take that as an opportunity to share the gospel, at the end of five months, they decided they didn't want me in their guerrilla camp anymore. And so I was released, and the Lord put us into a different ministry. And we began a radio ministry and a literature ministry, and then we're actually able to follow up on meetings. And on August 14th of this year, uh, it was our 30th anniversary of working with the Marxist guerrillas in Colombia and the other fighting factions. And I was going to celebrate August 14th by dropping some parachutes with Bibles, Christian literature, and a movie that my daughters had made onto some of the guerrilla camps that we hadn't been able to reach. And so uh, this, was, this was taking place. But the Lord had a, had a better plan. And I had been working with a Colombian military officer who'd been helping me find places to set up radio stations. And we'd been making little radio stations, and then we were able to make them a little better. And then uh, he, he lent me his helicopter so we could land up on top of a 12,800-foot mountain and install some equipment. And as things would go forward, the dark forces of the mafia and others would force him out, and he would get uh, taken out and, and then reassigned to another place in the country. And so I would follow him, and I'd go wherever he was, and then we'd do it again where, at the new place where he was going to command. And he kept getting promoted until on August 14th of this year, he was made commander of all Columbia's armed forces. And so now we have virtually unlimited opportunity. And we have had some very interesting times and now we're able to locate our transmitters on the very choicest mountains overlooking Ecuador, overlooking Venezuela, where there's a lot of difficulties right now for Christians. And we're able to beam a gospel message into places where no one can have the privilege of coming to a Sunday morning service like here. And some of our radio stations are aimed at evangelism or pre-evangelism, but others are aimed at discipleship and just give a steady diet of preaching and teaching through the Bible. And we're finding people now that have been listening to us for years in the jungle, and they know more about the Bible than some people that have been to Bible school. And they've never been to a Sunday morning service in their life. All they've done is listen to us on the radio. And when the enemy tries to stop Christian meetings, well... You can't really do that because the very nature of Christianity brings people together. It's just that when you have an underground church, you have to be careful. Because if you get the wrong person in your meeting, it could be the end of everything. And so it takes a clear witness from the Holy Spirit to know who you're even going to share your faith with and who you're going to fellowship with if you're going to survive. And many of the communist Marxists have come to the Lord and many have been killed by their own people. But others have either been able to get out of it. Sometimes they can't because all their friends and family will be killed if they were to desert. But interesting things are happening. A Colombian officer from the Army told me that one of the guerrilla stations started up again. They, they have a, a clandestine radio station called the Voice of the Resistance. It's, it's normally been uh, you know, very, very... 
um, communist, very, very atheist, very Marxist. But now the government is wondering how come the communist guerrilla station is playing Christian music and praying and talking about the Lord. And they're wondering if it's some kind of a ploy by the guerrillas. But what happened is a lot of these guerrillas are being converted. And so God is doing interesting things back in the jungle. On the island of Cuba right now, negotiations are taking place between the Colombian government and the guerrilla group trying to get a peace treaty. And it's possible that within the next couple months we could see an end to this war. But the conflict won't end unless people's hearts are changed. And so that's what the government is seeing right now. And our friend that's in charge of the armed forces of Colombia sees that unless hearts are changed, the war will never end. And so he has made it now a policy of the government to back our radio stations and other similar ministry and to seek a deep change in the hearts of the people that are involved in these problems. And one of the more exciting things that's happened is that people that used to be persecuting Christians, one man who was in charge of the guerrilla militias for a huge section of the country, he was burning down the church buildings, killing the pastors, wiping out Christians, and then something happened. He got his tail in a crack, and his men were killed, and he was holed up in a cave about to commit suicide when he says he heard an audible voice tell him to not commit suicide. And some of the Christians that he was persecuting actually helped him and led him to the Lord. And he surrendered to my friend, the general, and now as a pastor. And and he's typical of many others that are going through the same type of experience. When God has brought conviction to their hearts and brought them to a point of conversion. And it turns out that all of this pressure and all of the trials and tribulation that the church has gone through in Colombia has served to make a generation of Christians that are better quality than anything we've ever seen before. Back in remote Indian villages, we have ministry that's been under constant persecution for as long as anyone can remember. The evangelical church is relatively young in Colombia. There's been no significant Bible distribution except for after World War II. doesn't have the heritage in the Bible that the English-speaking world has. The first missionary endeavor that left a, a, a church building and a congregation that we know of was made by Alliance missionaries back in the mountains south of Cali in 1932. And that little church has been through constant persecution for 80 years. Every kind of persecution you can imagine. Everything from what was left over from the Spanish Inquisition to terrorist groups. And some of the worst persecution has been from the Indian tribal authorities who have their own religion. It, it worships the, the spirits of their ancestors. And they have borrowed tactics from the Spanish Inquisition. 
the torture machines that you know we think were only in use back in the mid dark, dark ages those same torture machines were copied by the indians and they're still in use today and they use them against christians the government thought it was being very progressive, and so they gave rights to the Indians under their 1992 constitution so that anything that happens in Indian land, it's Indian law that prevails. And so the Indians make it the law to torture Christians. And they have these torture machines where they can actually uh, rip their arms and legs off. And stocks where they put them in, and the cockroaches and the mice will try and eat the person's eyes out while they're uh, stuck in the stocks. And other horrible things that happen. And these Indians are very uh, stubborn when they're not converted. But after they are converted, they become very tenacious. And they don't give up their faith. And they don't back down. And so in order to get rid of the Christian Indians out of the tribal lands... The non-Christians have to either kill them or else dismantle their houses and haul off the materials so that they can't rebuild. And this has happened to a lot of families. And we've been helping some of these families. And a lot of these families are among these 6 million displaced people that, that I've been telling you about. And their focus normally when they get kicked out of the tribal lands is to continue to marshal their meager resources and send evangelistic teams back into where they got kicked out of. They don't give up. Voice of the Martyrs was down interviewing some of these Indians and one lady who'd lost everything and her husband had almost been killed and he'd been tortured and had severe scars. And uh, so the interviewer said, well, aren't you glad that you know, you're a Christian and you know that when you die you're going to go to heaven? And she said, yes, we know that when we die, we're going to go to heaven. But that's not what we're thinking about right now. We're not thinking about dying and going to heaven. What we're thinking about is we're not worshiping those little gods that our ancestors worshipped. We've got the real God this time. We worship a big God that's all-powerful. And so we're willing to put up with anything. And we're going to win. Those people that kicked us out of the tribal lands, they're all going to be converted. So that's the way they're looking at it. And it's one of the fastest growing, highest quality groups of Christians that I've ever encountered. Wycliffe Bible translators were able to do Bible translations back in uh, the 60s and 70s to those Indian tribes some of the best translations that have ever been done. And the Lord is using a lot of things, bringing it together, difficulties that missionaries had in the past, and now we're seeing a harvest come in above and beyond our wildest expectations. I've been authorized by the government to give these Christian Indians their own radio stations. And so they're sitting high up in the mountains now with their own powerful radio stations, and they still think the white man is their enemy, it wasn't the pilgrims that landed in uh, Colombia. It was the Spanish conquistadores, and they've had nothing but trouble with any outsiders. The only outsiders that have ever helped them and that they ever have had good memories of are Christian missionaries who were only able to stay for fleeting periods of time over the last 80 years. 
But now, God has changed these hearts, and they're up high in the mountains broadcasting, and down below are all the big cities of Colombian civilization. And the Christian Indians, when they get in control and put a Christian radio station on their Christian Indian land, no one can shut it down. And so they still think the white man is their enemy, but they're going to reach him with the gospel. They're going to overcome evil with good. And they're having a devastating impact on corrupt Colombian society. And it has, it has sparked a tremendous move of God that's basically gone unnoticed because of where it's located. And now some of the Indian governors are becoming Christians. And so now, instead of going after the Christians, they're going after the communists. In one case, the Indian governor uh, got his hands on five of the communist militia and sentenced them all to 40 years in prison and stuck them in the government's prison, made the government put them in prison, and there's no appeal. There's no way of getting out short of the 40 years. And so the other communists got uh, very, very frightened. And I started getting calls from the, from the communist leaders. Could we please come up there and teach them how to become Christians? Because now uh, they don't want to all go to jail for 40 years. They would rather be Christians. And so they want uh, us to distribute our Bibles and our materials. Kind of like the ending in the book of Esther. You remember after... Haman got hanged on his own gallows, and after the proclamation went out authorizing Mordecai and Esther, it says at the end of the book that many of the people decided to become Jews. And so we're seeing a turnaround. We're seeing places where Christians persevered under pressure, and now they're starting to get the upper hand. In the Guambiano tribe, which had gone under so much persecution over the last 80 years, and now the pastor of that first little church that I told you about that was started by Alliance missionaries back in 1932, been in constant persecution for 80 years. And the last thing that happened is the vice governor of the entire tribe got converted, and he's now the pastor of that church. And they're spreading the gospel all over Colombia, even into other areas that aren't their normal ethnic areas. And they're making little radio stations and uh, sending the signal by internet to other transmitters on the other side of the mountains. It's amazing. And I go up there and they, they, they uh, pull out their little laptop computers and show me all their plans of what they're, how they're going to expand and ask what we can do to help. Another little Indian congregation, and I gave them a 30-watt transmitter, which is a very small transmitter, and to see how they would do. And in the first three months, they had more than 2,500 calls that they meticulously logged of people calling in to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ or to recommit their lives. So when I went out there and saw that, I mean, what could we do except for get them a bigger radio station? And we are in the time now of unlimited opportunity. When Hudson Taylor first went to China, 
He didn't know that they would only have 80 years of time before the communists would set in and missionaries wouldn't be allowed to operate like that. But he felt a sense of urgency, and Hudson Taylor's work set the foundation for what later would become the Chinese underground church, which is the largest, most powerful, purest, cleanest Christian church in the world, possibly having 100 million. We hope and pray that God will move like this again in our nation. We've had tremendous awakenings, spiritual awakenings in the past here in the United States, just not in our memory, not in our lifetime, not in the lifetime of our parents or even of our grandparents. But it did happen, and it could happen again. It might take some difficult times, but we don't have to fear trials or tribulations because that's when God is able to really multiply the church. The early church said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And I'd like to close by reading a scripture here in Revelation chapter 6. I'd just let you think about this. We all look forward to the return of our Lord Jesus. And we know that it can't be very much longer. But there is a very good reason for his delay. Revelation 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain because of the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on those that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto each one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little while until their fellow servants and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So you see, friends, God's got something going on that most people haven't noticed. When someone gets killed for, in, the, in the service of the Lord, there's a special place for them in the kingdom of God. And there's a certain number that has to be fulfilled. Isn't that interesting? And if you study the book of Revelation a little more, you don't even have to literally get killed until to be able to fulfill part of that prophecy. Because the book, the, the word martyr means a faithful witness unto death. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that you can even give your body to be burned, but if you don't have the love of God in you, it won't be useful for anything. And we have a lot of mistaken Muslims sacrificing themselves in a wrong motive, and it's useless. But in Revelation chapter 1, it calls the Apostle John a faithful martyr. John is a martyr in God's book, and he's the only one of the apostles who, according to church tradition, didn't literally get killed for his faith. Isn't that interesting? But isn't it also interesting that when Jesus was dying on the cross, John was the first one that recovered after all of the disciples fled, and he was standing at the foot of the cross, and Jesus told him to take care of his mother, Mary. The Roman soldiers could have easily said, there's one of them right there, put him on another cross. John was in the place of maximum danger, risking his life. He didn't literally get killed, but he's a martyr in God's book. 
And so it's God that decides where we're at, each and every one of us, if we're really willing to lay down our lives for him. And the answer to that question is only God knows. But in the end, we'll all know because it'll all be revealed on the last day. Thank you very much, and we covet your prayers for the persecuted church around the world. Today we're focusing.